right. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being faithful. And uh, one good report of many we could give to today, but uh, uh, this week alone, our soul winning teams have led uh, 20 people to the Lord this week. So, yeah, give the Lord a hand. That was... That includes the, the teens and I on Tuesday, Miles and Asher and I on the Wednesday, Pastor Tim and Joseph and I on Thursday, and then between Friday and Saturday we had some more, so God gave us 20 people who prayed and uh, asked Jesus in his heart. So, And uh, five of those who prayed this week have been uh, actually follow-ups from the uh, Freedom Fest, so... Uh, we started visiting those, so the Lord is giving us more fruit from that. Okay, today we're talking about uh, lesson number four, and that is sanctifying grace. That we'll read our, our text and then get into the interdiction of our lesson. Second Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so, on the way of introduction, and we've seen God's saving grace, and I need to just reinforce, in case you are here for the first time today, this lesson's going to sound like I don't believe in saving grace, <laughs> but uh, I, if anybody believes in saving grace, I believe in saving grace. I mean, if we haven't made it clear that no law, no works, no goodness, nothing like that can save us, then the... Uh, somebody hasn't been listening. So, thank God for saving grace. Amen? Amen. That God saves us. All we do is believe. And, uh, and by the way, <coughs> we need to reinforce that when we're so winning. You do have to believe. And uh, grace is, grace is uh, wonderful. But uh, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So, we have to do that. Then grace uh, saves us. And then we talked about serving grace. Last week I said it's not fair to talk about saving grace without talking about serving grace. God saved us to serve. We talked about that last week, and then we'll see that again today. And so today we'll see that God gives sanctifying grace. By God's grace, he sanctifies us. And the word sanctify... Uh, literally means to be set apart for God's use or for God's glory. So when God saves us, God sets us apart for his use and his glory. Sadly, many who are saved aren't serving God. But that doesn't mean that God didn't do his part. He still sets us apart for his use and his glory. That's why a saved person can never be happy without serving the Lord. It's impossible. Uh, we can think we're happy, we can think we've got joy, but a saved person's joy comes from serving the Lord. So I said last week, the person who's truly only free is the person who's a slave to Jesus. And when we're a slave to Jesus, we're totally free. And that's God's plan. So this is what it means to be holy. God is holy because he is complete without sin. We are holy because we belong to God. God is holy because he is completely without sin. We are holy because we belong to God. When God saved us, the Bible says we're not our own. We'll quote that verse again today. Uh, we're bought with a price. 
therefore glorify God. Just like this podium right here, there's nothing special about this podium except for the fact that it's sanctified. Uh, nobody's going nobody's to teach heresy from this. We're not going to let some liberal come and teach from here. We're not going to sing songs, worldly songs. Uh, we're going to do something that glorifies God because this is set apart. There's nothing holy about this building. This building is just a building except for the fact it's set apart for God's use. That's what makes it holy. It's a holy place. And we come into this building, it's a holy place. And uh, this, is, this is free. This isn't in the lesson, but it has to do with what I've talked to so many people last night, especially a man last night I talked to. And the, one of the good things about coming into a place that's set apart for God's use, we have to set apart our stuff when we come inside this place. And you know, the wonderful thing about being in church, I don't have to smell cigarette smoke. <laughs> I, may, I may smell it on you, but I don't have to smell the... Uh, Smoke that you're breathing. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, I've been thinking about this lesson. and Anybody who's ever taught the Bible, if you just did it one time or preached a sermon, you can relate to this. But those of you who do it regularly, <coughs> uh, I feel like I'm in a boxing match today. And, uh, of course, Satan's been boxing me. I've had to tell myself, this is not youth camp. These adults cannot handle this kind of preaching. So, <laughs> so I've had to calm myself down. This is not youth camp. And uh, then I say to myself, uh, I can't say that. And then I hear, I hear Paul say, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. And then I'll say, no, that's, I can't say that. And I hear, I, I envision Pastor Tim's text that he sends me directly. He said, preach it. That's what he says when I get ready. Preach it. And uh, so this is the only place I can say what I'm about to say today, so I have to say it. <laughs> I can't say this in any other church. They couldn't handle it. They'd never let me come back again. So I got to say it today. So forgive me if... Uh, say it. Yeah, all right. Thank you for doing it. Tony gave me permission to say it. <laughs> so <clears throat> when we come in this place, it's sanctified for God's use. So we can't bring our beer in, we can't bring our cigarettes in, and uh, some of you think that I'm so nice, but it's just because I behave myself in the house of God. <laughs> Paul said that we may, might know how to behave ourselves in the house of God. So thank God when we come in here, we behave ourselves, amen? <laughs> and, and what we get here helps us to behave ourselves when we leave this place. And then when Friday rolls around, we're not behaving ourselves too much anymore, so we got to get back to church and <laughs> And get it again, and then start all over. I mean, that's how my Christian life's been for 47 years. I don't know <laughs> about yours. So today we're talking about that word sanctified. This is not in the notes, but if you want to make a mental note of it or write it, in a, write it as a note. Uh, legalism, we can say a lot about legalism, but legalism is claiming holiness without God's grace. That's what legalism does. That's why we say when somebody tries to work their way to heaven, that's legalism. When someone tries to keep a law to be saved, that's legalism. And when Christians claim holiness without grace, that's, all, that's also legalism. That means I earned it. It means I did it. It means I did something to make me holy. 
and we cannot do anything to make us holy. As I said, God already made me holy. When he saved me, he made me holy. And I may not act like it at times, but uh, God made us holy because we're sanctified, we're set apart for God's use. So that's what our text says. For he had made him to be sin for us, that we may be made, who without sin, by the way, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. So our first blank is, we are made righteous by God's grace. We are made righteous by God's grace. God makes us righteous, just like God the Father made Jesus become sin so that I could be made righteous. Jesus had no sin, but he became sin. I had no righteousness, you had no righteousness, but we became righteousness because God made us righteous. So thank you, Lord, for paying that great price so I could be righteous. Then secondly, our holiness is imputed to us. To theological word, righteousness, imputed. Imputed means that it's given to us, and if it's given to us, it means it's, it's grace. Romans 4, 22 through 25 is talking about Abraham as example. Just like God imputed righteousness to Abraham because he believed, God imputes righteousness to us when we believe on Christ. It's our faith in Christ. And then the Bible reminds us here it comes because uh, Jesus was delivered for our transgressions, but he, was, but he was raised again for our justification. He was delivered for my sin. He was raised, and when God raised Jesus from the dead, I was justified. In other words, God put his stamp of approval. This is nothing new to those of you who come to the home church, but God put his stamp of approval, put his seal, said, uh, my son paid for Mike's sin. My son rose from the grave conquering sin. And therefore, I declare Mike Robinette as righteous. His sins have been paid for. It's paid in full. Just like we said last week, Paul said, I'm a bonds servant of Jesus. We've been bought from the slave market by Jesus' blood. It's been imputed, imputed to us because Jesus' death and resurrection. Next, our holiness comes from another holy source. And the word another there should be capitalized because we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Our holiness comes from another holy source. And without this holy source coming to us, there would be nothing holy about us. That's why it's so sad and frustrating for religious people to try to live holy without the Holy Spirit inside of it. And uh, I made this reference a couple of times. I made it at the college and career class Tuesday night. But sadly... Uh, there's people all over, there's pastors, reverends, all over Lodi and Stockton and all over the world today that are being paid to preach a Bible they don't believe, and they're trying to talk about one whom they've never received, and they're trying to live out holiness without the Holy Spirit living inside them. So imagine how frustrating that would be. And to those of you who grew up like that, I, I wish I grew up in church, but one of the good things, that, <laughs> positive things about that is when I was growing up, I wasn't trying to pretend like I was a Christian. I wasn't trying to pretend like I was holy. I wasn't trying to, 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 to fake it. I wasn't trying to say, look at me. 
I was a sinner. I didn't know God. I was a sinner. And, but since I've been a Christian, it's been a miserable time when I've faked it. It's, it's no fun when you're trying to say, look at me, how holy I am, because we have to receive another who is holy. And so it's frustrating to be a legalist. It's, fr- <laughs> it's frustrating to, be, to try to do something that we, don't, that we cannot do, that we don't have the power to do. So we are holy because another source. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, any father with any sense would give his son bread if he were hungry. How much more shall, the, shall I, the God, give us the Holy Spirit if we ask for it? So the point there is it's a gift. We receive the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, not our spirit. The Holy Spirit has to overcome our evil spirit. The Holy Spirit has to uh, uh, help us to, to, to live in a sinful body. That's another lesson. But one of the frustrating things about being a Christian is we have somebody who is holy in us living in a body that's a sinful body. That's why we have this conflict. Paul said, I have this conflict. Uh, what I want to do good, I don't do good. And when I, when I just have this conflict that the evil's with me when I try to do good. So that's because the Holy Spirit lives within us. By the way, if you don't have that conflict, that's a good sign that that's one of the, we can't judge who's saved or not, but that's one of, the, one of the biblical evidences to know whether you're saved or not. If you don't have that conflict, something's wrong. And uh, so last year I taught, a, I taught a lesson on guilt. And, you know, we, we listened to psychiatrists. I have a young lady here who's going to be a counselor. I hope that when she gets her degree, she doesn't tell anybody they're not supposed to have guilt. Because <coughs> guilt is what that's all about. Guilt is, the holy, is somebody holy in us, wanting us to live a certain way, and we don't do it. That's guilt. And uh, so that's the conflict in our Christian life. Galatians 5.22, if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Not walk in our own merits. If we walk in our own merits, we're, we're trouble. M- trouble, yes. Thank you. I needed a word for that. That was a good one. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to try to walk in our own spirit, our own merit. So if we walk in the spirit, the Holy Spirit, we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Ephesians 1.13 says that when we believed on Christ, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came in and sealed us. That's why uh, we believe in eternal security. Because when we, the Holy Spirit came, he sealed us. He's not going to leave. Jesus said, no man can pluck them out of my hand. My Father's greater than all. No man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. So I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. He's never going to leave me. He's always going to be there. <laughs> Again, this is a, another lesson for another time. But we might as well give in and live right because the Holy Spirit is not going to quit messing with us. <laughs> you, might, you might as well just say, I give up. Because he's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake us. He's, he's not going to say, you know, I'm going to leave you alone. He's going to keep bothering us and hounding us till we're conformed to the image of Christ. He's just going to keep working on us and working on us and working on us. So it's just no fun to be a hard-headed Christian. <laughs> I've, I've been there. It's no fun rebelling against the Holy Spirit. It's, uh, 
It'd be like our daughters trying to get away with sin and when they were young with Linda. Just wasn't, it's not going to work. You might as well just obey the rules and do what you're supposed to because uh, you're going to get grounded. Those of you who heard me pe- preach before, you know what I meant by that. <laughs> Ephesians 4.30 says that uh, we grieve the Holy Spirit. So when we don't live like we're supposed to, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And one thing that grieves me is when I know that I've grieved the Holy Spirit. That just bothers me so much. It ought to bother all of us, amen, that we've, that we've, grieved, the, that we've grieved the Holy Spirit. And so before we go on, thank God for the truth that Pastor Luke taught in 1 John, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sin. His blood is still available to, to cleanse us so that we can say, Holy Spirit, I grieved you. Forgive me. I'm sorry. And the Holy Spirit says, okay, it's done. Let's go on and let's, uh, let's improve and let's, let's serve Jesus. All right. Next, our holiness is a reflection of God's grace. Our holiness is simply a reflection of God's grace. What, what I... What you see in my life, if it's something good, and it's not self-righteousness, we'll see in a moment. But uh, we talked about this last week. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. So anything good in my life is Jesus Christ. So anything that comes out of my life that's good is not a reflection of Mike Robinette. You wouldn't want to see a reflection of Mike Robinette. Uh, it's a reflection of Jesus. We reflect the grace and uh, I know it's not true, but I sure uh, take it as a great honor when someone would say of me, uh, you're a picture of God's grace. I would li- uh, thank you, Brother Tony. I'd like to think that, uh, that God's grace is, like Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And so thank God we can be reflections of God's grace. That people who once knew what we were, they see that, you know, we're different. That's a reflection of God's grace. That a, a dad who gets saved and his family sees he's a different man, that's a reflection of God's grace. A teenager who comes back from youth camp on fire for Jesus and uh, their parents see a change in their life, that's a reflection of God's grace. When uh, we help somebody who's hungry, that's a reflection of God's grace. When we're kind to our neighbors, when we do all the things that the God would have us to do. Those are the reflections of God's grace. So that's what our holiness is. It's simply a reflection of God's grace. And so if you did say something good of me, and many of you see me do this before, if you did say something good of me, I'd just go like this. <laughs> if somebody said, Pastor Mike's a nice person, I'd just go like this. <clears throat> Pastor Mike's a soul winner, I'd just go like this. Because it's, uh, it's only God's grace. So if I wouldn't wasn't for God's grace, I wouldn't be standing here, and you wouldn't like me, that's for sure. First <laughs> Peter 1.16, the Bible, Peter was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, Be ye holy as I am holy. Be ye holy as I am holy. So how can we be holy? And that's, that, that thought there is that we, we know we're already holy, we know we're already sanctified, we're made righteous, but now we reflect the grace that is in us. Our, we, we live out this holiness. 
We live out the power of the Holy Spirit. We live out what God has intended for us to do, and then we are sanctified. We, we're living this holy life. And Romans 8.10, I don't know if that, uh, what that verse is. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is, is life. So if Christ be in us, we're living out this holiness. Our, our spirit is alive now. We're not dead any longer. And it should reflect in our life. And that great verse, 1 Corinthians 6.20, we're bought with a price. We're not our own. Therefore, we're to glorify God in our body and our spirit. So sanctification, our holiness, is we're made righteous, is imputed to it. Our holiness comes from another. And our holiness is simply a reflection of God's grace. Okay, number two. We live holy only by God's grace. We live holy only by God's grace. Romans 6.14 says God gives grace to overcome sin. Gives grace to overcome sin. And verse 22 says because of God's grace, because of God's righteousness, we are free we're free from sin to serve righteousness we're free to be holy you know amazing thought that god frees us to be holy most people think freedom is being unholy don't they most people think freedom is doing what they want to do but freedom god made us free from sin so that we'd be servants of righteousness to serve righteousness that means the more we do with God's grace that has to do with reflecting his holiness, uh, then that means the more freer we are. And so, uh, you know, if you read the Bible 10 hours just so that we can say we read the Bible for 10 hours, I was impressed with the youth, with the youth and one of, one of the young men said that, uh, I was preaching, he came up afterwards, he said that, he said, I've decided to read the Bible one hour a day. And thank God he, he decided that. But <clears throat> I'm working on this lesson, so I'm thinking to myself, well, that may not make you more spiritual, just make you, may make you more self-righteous. <laughs> so if you read the Bible an hour a day or ten hours a day, uh, that, that's wonderful. But, but uh, God wants us to, to live according to according what we're reading. Amen? God wants us to transform us. God wants us to change us. So grace gives, God gives grace to overcome sin. The Bible reminds us. Uh, write this verse down if you, don't, if, if you don't know it or just make it in your notes. Uh, Jesus said in John 17, 17, in case we think that this all doesn't work together, Jesus said, I've given them thy truth, and thy your truth is what sanctifies, Jesus said. Jesus said, they are sanctified by your word. So if we think that we're going to uh, reflect God's grace without getting into the Bible, and again, there's a difference between reading the Bible and letting the Bible change us. There's a difference between knowing the Bible and letting the Bible change us. That's what the Bible's for. The Bible is to change us. And if, one, if reading one verse and meditating on that all day works better than reading 10 chapters, and that would be the best thing to do, amen? So, but yeah, we pray, we read the Bible, we go to church, we fellowship, we 
We uh, abstain from the appearance of evil. All those things work together. But at the end of the day, who, who could say that my Bible reading made me holy? <laughs> you know, if you say that, you've missed the whole point. Who could say at the end of the day, my prayer life has made me holy? If, if we think that, we've missed the whole point. And sadly, that's how many Christians operate. <laughs> that's how many Christians have been taught. That's how many Christians conclude that <clears throat> if I read the Bible, I'll be holy. I know a lot of Bible readers that aren't holy. <laughs> Just go out soul winning with us. <laughs> go soul winning with us. You'll find clergymen, Bible students, Joe Witnesses, Mormons, mean Baptists. I mean, you, you, they're, all, they're all out there. They read the Bible. But they just soon beat you over the head with it as somebody else. And so some people just mean-spirited. I, anybody knows me, I believe the King James Bible is the Word of God. I think it's the perfect Word of God. Uh, you couldn't convince me any different. But there's some people who believe that, that would take the King James Bible and beat you over the head with it. <laughs> That's not God's purpose, amen? Got the Bible's to transform us. And if reading the King James Bible doesn't make you love people, start reading another Bible is what I would say. You're awesome. Man, that wasn't even in my notes. <laughs> okay, so next bullet. Grace doesn't give an excuse to sin. Grace keeps us from sin. Again, I said at the beginning of the first lesson, I said most people who talk about grace really don't understand grace. And to those of you who are in the know, you know this. Uh, the average Bible teacher, the average preacher on TV, the average song, the average songwriter. Uh, it's almost like uh, one song that just irritates me. He does some good songs, but this one song that I won't mention that just irritates me. He said, I found out that all God wants is my love. That's a bunch of baloney. <laughs> he didn't get that from reading the Bible. I just sit around and love God and love people, and that, no, that isn't God's plan. If we love God, do something about it, amen? If we love people, do something about it. If we love God, change your life. If you love God, get rid of that sin. If you love God, overcome sin. That's, that's what grace is all about. It's, it's, the, it's the ability to overcome. Not to, it's not to making excuse. There's Christians in this town today that are using grace for an excuse not to be in church today. I'm saved by grace. I don't have to go to church. It's okay. It's cool. I'm okay with God. That is not what grace is all about. We'll see at the conclusion in a moment. But that's not God's idea of grace. It doesn't make excuses. Romans 5.20, our beginning verse, says that, uh, that uh, great, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Notice the contrast there. If, I have, if I'm abounding in sin, God gives me grace to, more, to overcome sin. I have more, grace is more powerful than my sin. It's more powerful than your sin. And 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says that when, we, <coughs> that when we get saved, when we get grace, it's God's plan for us to be holy. That's God's plan. His plan is, I gave you grace to make you clean. I gave you grace to make you holy. And so that's God's, God's plan. Again, another, I could just preach here, but I'll try to be nice. 
Some Christians just aren't clean. They just, they just aren't clean. And they come to church, they carry Bibles, they sing the songs, but our lives aren't clean. Uh, we just give, we too easily would watch something that we shouldn't watch. We too easily would listen to something we shouldn't listen to. We too easily partake of things we shouldn't partake of. And so God's grace is to clean us up, amen? God's grace is to make us right with God. That's what it's for. It's not to excuse us, not to say, I got grace, therefore it's no big deal. That's not, the, that's not what God teaches about grace. Then the next bullet, it's not our character. Anybody who's heard me teach a lot, especially Luke and Lena, have heard me make this point before, but it's not our character but God's grace that keeps us from sin. Character is not holiness. If that was the case, every, every one who's in the Summer Olympics would be the holiest person in the world. Those people have character. It takes 40, over 40, I mentioned this in the care group a couple weeks ago, the college and career group. It takes over 40,000 hours of practice to master something. And so those people who are in the Olympics... They, they certainly got character, amen? I mean, they got a lot more character than I do. So if character is holiness, then they're all holy. They're all just wonderful saints of God. <clears throat> but I would, I would think that once they got off the, uh, whatever their game they're playing, that their lives probably wouldn't re reflect too much of the holiness. Some of them maybe. So character is not holiness. <clears throat> God's holiness will give us character. But character doesn't make us holy. If you set your clock and got up at 4 o'clock to pray and, and think that that made you holy, that had nothing to do with it. God's grace made you holy, not, not, not the sacrifice. If you did that, it's a wonderful thing. You might get holy by doing that, but doing that doesn't make, it, doesn't make us holy. Our character. By the way, personality doesn't make you holy. I like I like it when people say I encourage them by my smile. But um, a lot of people smile who aren't holy. <laughs> I'm just reading the book of Proverbs. A lot of people laugh to cover up their sin. That's, that's, a, that's a biblical principle. We laugh to cover up sorrow. We laugh. That's why most comedians are wicked. That's why most comedians have foul mouths. Because inside they're dirty. Inside they're lonely. Inside they're... they're, they're filthy. They're reprobates. Uh, you can't even watch a comedian because most of them just are filthy. So laughter and, and you can't judge somebody by their personality. And I think that uh, uh, I was thinking of that verse this morning in Jeremiah where God said to Jeremiah, don't be afraid of their faces. And some of you got faces I'm afraid of. But <laughs> <laughs> if we're happy, we should let our face know it. Amen. And if we're saved, we should let our faith know it. But the, some people may have lost a loved one. And you can't expect somebody to be going around happy and smiling when they just lost a loved one. Maybe somebody in this room who's got family problems, job problems. So I'm not going to stand up here and judge you by the look on your face. Because that's not spirituality. That's not holiness. Uh, so, again, the Bible reminds you of that. Galatians 6.1 says, ye that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I don't want anybody to fall in sin. None of us should fall in sin. But there's nothing like a good old 
falling in sin to wake us up. <laughs> There's nothing like a good old moment of backsliding to say, whoa, I'm not all that. And every Christian needs to realize we're not all that. Amen? Amen. I'm not all that. You're not all that. Your Bible reading and your prayer life and your how many hours you go to church doesn't make you all of that. Only God's grace makes us all of that. Only God's grace makes it holy. And so I'll be going along thinking, man, aren't I just wonderful? I'm just a soul winner. And then I fall and I, whew, I thank God for his grace. Amen? Thank God for his mercy. So I don't want you to fall, but if you trip spiritually, that's probably a good thing. G- give you a, a reality check. <laughs> Nextly, I got to go. I'm going to start preaching it. That it's, it's not self-righteousness but God's grace that makes us spiritually successful. That's what I meant by that. Uh, Paul said in chapters 3, verse 9, Paul said that I may, <laughs> it's not my righteousness, but his righteousness that I need. Paul said, I want to I uh, reach the prize for the high calling of Jesus Christ, but it's not my self-righteousness. It's God's self-righteousness. It's God's righteousness, excuse me, not our self-righteousness. Write this verse down if you're taking notes. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one, dealing with the Lord's Supper. The Bible says if we would judge ourselves, but God would not judge us. So we need to judge ourselves. And it's so easy to judge somebody else, isn't it? And so God says, judge yourself, and I'll, and I'll uh, forgive you. God says, judge yourself, and I won't chastise you. So the average Christian, we think that judging somebody else is our, is our job. Uh, and again, I, I have my standards, I have my convictions, and I have my sins. So I judge myself. I don't expect anybody else to, to do what I do. I don't expect anybody else to, to go to India. I don't expect anybody else to go out soul winning. I don't expect you to do it like I do. Uh, but... The Bible does expect us all to be a witness, amen? You don't have to do it like I do, but we all should be a witness. We all should live, live for Jesus. I'll share this illustration real quickly. I couldn't help but this come to my mind, and, and uh, uh, I hope that, that uh, uh, God is in this illustration. But, but the church I was uh, co-pastor in in the Seattle, Washington area, it came time for the church to vote for me to be the senior pastor. And it was a rarely, rarely good-sized church for a fundamental Baptist church. And there were six people in the whole church that did not vote for me to be the pastor. And one of them, uh, whatever it's called when you don't vote at all, he didn't vote no or yes. Thank you. And one abstained. So I had six no votes and one, one abstained. And the person that abstained was a deacon in the church. And before, before that, he stood up in the church and was telling in, in a roundabout way that if I became the pastor, I would bring contemporary music into the church. He just couldn't stand it because I listened to contemporary music. And the other six people who didn't vote for me that's the reason why they didn't vote for me. They loved my preaching. They, matter of fact, uh, they were, the, they were the, some of the people who wanted me to come there to be the pastor. And, and then come to find out that that deacon 
got caught looking at pornography. Another pastor did the same thing to me. He tried to blackball me because I listened to contemporary music. He had to resign his church because he got caught looking at pornography. I know there's wonderful Christians who don't listen to contemporary music. And I, if anybody's got a higher standard than me, praise God for it. I'm not going to judge anybody who doesn't listen to contemporary music. They can listen to what they want to. But I just sort of uh, <coughs> have a suspicion about self-righteous people. <laughs> and so, yeah, we ought to judge people. But, <coughs> but if you're self-righteous, sorry, I've got a built-in suspicion <laughs> about self-righteous people. The first thing I probably would think is, what in the world's in that person's life? So I may be judging wrongly, but my point is this. We can't be self-righteous. We have to have God's holiness and God's mercy. And then <clears throat> it's God's grace that enables us to be set apart, the Bible tells us. God's grace enables us to be set apart. And you can read those verses later, 2 Corinthians, because I'm going to just go down real quick in point number three. But the point is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, God gave grace to the Macedonian Christians, and then the Macedonian Christians gave themselves to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to others. That's the, sort of the, uh, the spirituality of grace. God gives us grace. We get set apart for God, and then because of that, we touch others' lives. And Jesus gave an example of Jesus there, where the Bible says Jesus became poor so that we could become rich. Again, that's the picture of grace. Jesus became something. He became poor so I could have grace, so I could be rich. So uh, we're, it's God's grace that enables us to be set apart. Then let me go down this last real quickly. You can just write the words and, and you get the point as we go. But number three, we are accountable to a higher standard because we're under grace. Romans 6, 14 says we're not under law, but we're under grace. And the average Christian would, would have this attitude. Thank God I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. That's because we don't understand grace. Yes, thank God we're under grace. The law can't save us, but, <coughs> but uh, grace is a higher standard. Jesus said that we're to keep his commandments in John 14, 15. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So this means grace has commands. Say Jesus was talking about the law. He may have included that, but the Bible says Jesus is full of grace and truth. So Jesus doesn't operate by legalism. He operates by grace and he operates by truth, meaning that grace and truth never conflict. Grace and truth always go together. And that's why people get it confused. So here's some examples real quickly. This means... Excuse me. Grace says give more, Acts 20, 35. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Anybody who fusses over the tithe is certainly not understanding grace. We give, we give more. We give tithe than grace. We don't care if the tithe's under, under we don't care if tithe's legalism or under the law. It doesn't matter to us. We give more than that anyway. So who cares? It's not worth arguing about. Grace says love when it hurts. Jesus said, greater love had no man than love his friends. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, love bears all things. Grace says, put others first. Luke 7, 31. Do unto others, you would have them do unto you. 
Grace says, lose your life. Don't save it, Matthew 6, 23. That's what grace says. Lose your life. Give your life away. You'll never find, you'll never, you can read the Old Testament all the way through, and you'll not find that strong of a principle in the Old Testament. The law says rest, but grace says work. Jesus said, I must work for the night's coming when no man may work. You know, here's some well-meaning Christian. I say this because my dad was a Seventh-day Adventist, which gives me an inbuilt thing against Seventh-day Adventist. Sorry about that. Because my dad was a jerk, not because Seventh-day Adventists are jerks. But, you know, a good Seventh-day Adventist say, I'm just going to stay home Saturday, and I'm going to keep the Sabbath. I'm going to eat my vegetables, and I'm not going to do anything. And, well, I'd rather be out knocking somebody's door on Saturday, and I'd rather be out in the heat sweating for Jesus on Saturday. Because uh, Jesus said, work, for the night's coming when no man can work. All right, let's miss, be dismissed in, in prayer. Bruno, would you dismiss in prayer, please? We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, Thank you for joining us.